Hello, I'm Felix and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the internet of things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about pacemakers. Pacemakers are an example of implantable medical devices or IMD. They monitor and control the rhythm of someone's heart and they take action if needed based on what they observe. The device lives underneath the skin next to your chest um, and uh, it's has probes that go underneath your ribcage to your heart to to sense what's going on and to to inject electrical voltage if it's required. They tend to be two types. There's low voltage and there's high voltage ones. And this is down to how they are able to respond. Are they able to just nudge your heart in the right direction or are they literally there able to to massively give it a jolt to get it to restart or, or do whatever it needs to do? There's a difference between approaches as well, and this is down to the patient. And essentially, this is whether they're pacing dependent or pacing assisted. And essentially, that is whether or not the the patient needs the pacemaker to stay alive, or they just need it there to nudge them in the right direction if it's not going quite right. The battery life in a pacemaker is approximately six years, depending on who you talk to, but it might well be longer than that these days. At the moment, the technology is not rechargeable. So it's not like you can use the the wireless recharging type stations that you can get for your mobile phone these days and just stick it next to your heart. We're not there yet. Although that is something that is uh, in in progress and being researched along with a a couple other techniques. There's approximately 40 to 50,000 pacemakers installed every year in the UK. So there's a huge population out there with them in. They've got several major functions, and that's the the operating system that runs the the hardware um, and deals with the communications to any of the external parts. Then there's the part that does the pacing, uh, so monitors and administers the the pacing itself. You know, can it can it detect an anomaly in your heart rhythm, or does it need to do some intervention? Then there's a diagnostics part, which is like a logging and monitoring part, not just for your heart, but for the way that the device is actually functioning and, and making sure that like maintenance is, is essentially taken care of and identification of technical problems with the device are being made correctly. And then finally, there's an update handler. So it's the part that can then allow you to get new software, new firmware for that device. Bizarrely, I think there are community firmwares available for pacemakers. Now, I find this fundamentally quite uncomfortable. Um, I find it difficult to believe that there is enough of a community to know how embedded systems work, embedded systems work securely, and understand the human heart and the intricacies of being able to to run pacemaking decisions and, and take action on that. I just have to point out here, I am not a medical professional. Do not take any of this as medical advice. And legally, whatever you do is is your problem, not mine. Uh, This is just the discussion around the security behind pacemakers. So these devices typically do have wireless communication. And the reason they have that is because they are designed to be able to be interfaced with whilst they're inside someone's body. So that's, you know, without surgery. What we're talking about here, generally speaking, is uh, the communication of the data from the heart back to whoever needs to see it, and also the ability for a medic person to be able to change the configuration of your pacemaker. 
So there are kind of a few different ways that this might well be done. There's something called MICS, or the Medical Implant Communication Service. There's also MedRadio and NBAN, which is the Medical Body Area Network. We've got Bluetooth, we've got Near Field Communications, or NFC, and and potentially other inductive data transfer type mechanisms. They tend to connect to a local hub or, or base station, and then the data is transmitted from that hub to a cloud service and then onto whoever the doctor is that is looking after the data and looking after the patient. The comms between the hub and the cloud is basically via any means you can think of, really. There's reports of them being done via telephone, like a dial-up modem type style thing, but also, obviously, by Wi-Fi onto your router and then over the internet and, and all sorts of other mechanisms, depending on exactly what the context is of these devices. So to give you a bit of a flavor of this, MICS started life in about 1999, um, and it is 402 to 405 megahertz. Med radio is not that dissimilar, so 402 to 405 megahertz, but it's a little bit more modern, and it's got several other bands that go all the way up to 451 to 457 megahertz. And the reason for this is about deconflicting with other traffic and making sure there's enough bandwidth to do uh, high bandwidth transmissions if it's needed, that kind of thing. And then there's NBAN, which um, is is a bit different. It's 2.36 gigahertz to 2.4 gigahertz, which is just shy of that Wi-Fi band. So it's just below that. Um, that last one, though, isn't used very much at the moment. Um, it's just never quite taken off. And I think that's largely due to the fact that there are other types of technology which are easier to implement in that same space. Uh, for instance, Wi-Fi. So why would you bother hacking into a pacemaker? Well, interesting enough, there's actually a few more than most people might think of. The obvious one is, well, you want to cause harm to the wearer, the, to the patient. Um, but actually, you could use it to threaten or coerce them as well. It's not just a case of, let's kill somebody, assassinate them. It could be, well, give me all your money or I'm going to kill you. Then there's also things like invading privacy or following them around. If you can detect that person and the signature of that particular pacemaker, then you might well be able to, to really get in their face, you know, follow them to the supermarket, whatever. But also invading their privacy. If I can access their data, I can tell, well, roughly what they were up to at the time. Were they doing something strenuous or were they asleep? Uh, and how does that have an impact on, you know, were they at work at the time or not? There's also like the concept of ransomware kind of fits in this space. If you were able to launch an attack across a lot of different parts of uh, the pacemaker ecosystem, then you might well be able to say, well, actually, if you don't pay me a load of money, I'm going to shut it down. That doesn't necessarily apply to the individual pacemakers, although theoretically it could, but it's far more likely to apply to that cloud service. And then you've got kind of a slightly more stereotypical hacking type stuff, which is, well, if I can steal all that data about who's doing what when or, you know, who's got a pacemaker, I could probably sell it on the black market. And then there's that wonderful concept of cyber terrorism, which is uh, it's an amazing concept, really, because it applies to anything extreme that you could do with cyber effects. And so in this instance, we're talking about, well, let's just turn off a country's pacemakers. 
So let's talk about software updates, because this is a bit of a funny one. Now, most people will think about doing software updates on their computer. They might think about doing them on an embedded system, an IoT device or something like that. But again, it's still it's a bit of a black box and it's it's over there psychologically. So if it goes wrong, it's annoying. It might be expensive, but it's that's it. Software updates when it comes to devices in your body, particularly ones that keep you alive, that's going to be a bit of a different feeling. When you go to the doctor's surgery, say, to have uh, an update applied, what on earth actually happens? Well, I don't have a pacemaker, but it turns out what you essentially do is you go to a medical facility that is suitable for your particular medical requirements, and then you get the doctor to put your device in like a backup mode. And this backup mode might well be, say, like setting your heart to make sure it's always doing 67 beats per minute because you're at rest, and and therefore that's a nice level place to be. And then what happens is the device uh, will receive a new firmware via a, an RF signal of some description, um, and it will then update your storage, check that it's done it correctly, do some loads of like checks and configuration stuff, and then it might well be okay with that, in which case it will then transfer back to uh, being in normal mode after it's verified the configuration is correct and it, or it hasn't changed and, and that sort of process. Um, apparently, this takes about five minutes, not very long at all, notwithstanding any waiting time, obviously, but it's not a big process. And I guess the big question is whether or not you need to be in a facility that's able to cope with you suddenly not having a working heart. You know, if you're pacing dependent and you're not very healthy, then probably you should go somewhere like a proper hospital that can take care of you. Whereas in theory, this is something that could be done down in your local GPs. There have been some great researchers who've done work in this space over the years, um, but quite a lot of them, particularly in the early days, got an awful lot of legal threats, and uh, and that was not very fun to, to be in that space. Um, the, the greats in the space include somebody called Barnaby Jack, who in 2012 demonstrated the ability to essentially assassinate pacemakers from about 15 meters away. For the Americans amongst us, that's 50 feet. And um, it, this was essentially by sending a really big jolt to uh, the, the person or you know some other style attacks of a similar nature. Um, he sadly died in 2013 from totally unrelated issues. There have been instances where IMD manufacturers have recalled devices owing to cybersecurity vulnerabilities. The most famous example of this is in 2016, where St. Jude Medical recalled nearly half a million pacemakers in the US, owing to reports that indicate that they could potentially have the batteries drained on these devices or to make them malfunction. Rather predictably, though, this was refuted by the manufacturer and mudslinging then ensued. It ended up a little while later with three CVEs uh, being published. Uh, and so they were CVE 2017, 12712, 12714, and 12716. Um, they basically had all sorts of issues. There was a radio frequency auth issue, so you didn't need authentication, uh, or at least you could bypass it. There was uh, rate limiting problems around the wake-up messages, which were deemed to then be able to reduce the battery life of the device. There were some theories around the whether or not you could then drain a fully charged battery in about two weeks, which seems a bit extreme, but you know maybe. Um, and then there was a problem with encryption when sending and storing that patient data anywhere else. 
So what could the vulnerabilities be? Well, the RF protocol is a really big spot for me because there's loads of different functionality here. It's going to be quite a complex protocol and it largely is not very easy to find out much in the way of information on how those protocols actually work, what those messages look like. Um, my guess is that apart from people at Barnabas Jack and, and the, the cohort that do that sort of work, there's probably not that many people who actually know what's going on here. Then, of course, you've got the hub or the base station and what it's doing, because that also has a whole set of firmware and operating system and communications protocols to deal with. So that's probably a really vulnerable part of this whole ecosystem too, because it will also likely be using really old Linux firmwares or you know all the other classic IoT things, especially as it's not the bit that's inside the body. That bit is regulated, whereas the, the bit that's on the side of the bed next to you when you sleep so it can collect your data, that bit might well not actually be so well looked after. And then obviously we've got the cloud application and, and what's happening there. There could be loads of stuff going on in that space, uh, and that's going to you know typically be most of the normal web application stuff. But there's another quality here that gets a little bit sensitive. Now people talk about data sovereignty and where that data is going. Well, actually, if you've got a cloud application that's collecting data from pacemakers, which is medical data, which is largely considered as a sensitive subject and is regulated even more tightly, well, where is that data going? Does your cloud application live in the country where the person lives and therefore is unlikely to be quite so bad from a, a regulation point of view? Or is it going somewhere else like China or for us in the UK, is it going to America? So talking about the RF stuff, it's important to understand that one of the, the parts of this process is the ability to reprogram the pacemaker. So the reprogramming is done, um, and it's usually done quite close. Physical proximity is required to that device. Now, by design, this is going to be a really small distance because they'll, they'll put some antennas and things really close to you to be able to have low-power interaction with that device. And that's quite a nice security feature. It means that you have to be relatively close to be able to do this sort of thing at least in normal operation. That doesn't mean it's not possible to do outside of that range. It's just it would be quite hard. The longer range communication stuff that happens here, though, so we're talking like more than a meter away from you, that's done via uh, one directional communication, generally speaking. So what this means is that the... Um, the data, the kind of the rhythm of your heart is being transmitted out of your body, but there's not so much coming back in. It's not strictly true for all devices. There is clearly going to be variance here, but that's a really good conceptual makeup of, of how to keep these relatively safe by default. What you don't want is for there to be a, a theoretical path over the internet back to a pacemaker to turn it off, much like, say, the, uh, the Homeland episode from quite a few years ago had. Uh, where the vice president was assassinated using his pacemaker serial number. Incidentally, that episode was told to be quite accurate with a few exceptions that were done for Hollywood benefits. So what do I think? Well, I think, being brutally honest, it's probably best not to have a pacemaker in the first place if you can avoid it. That said, if a medic recommends you have one, please don't think about the security of it. Go and have one. It definitely will make your life safer, probably keep you alive for longer. However, if you do have to have one, don't freak out. The chances are you're more likely to be hit by the proverbial bus tomorrow than someone is going to assassinate you or take advantage of your pacemaker should you have one fitted. I do find it a little bit concerning, though, that the patching 
process is quite slow in this space. It's sort of there for good reasons, and I sort of support it. And the reason is, it takes a lot to prove that the patching or the software, the firmware that's running on the pacemaker that lives inside your body is done correctly and is not vulnerable in some format or another, which would uh, either be just a bug in the software so it doesn't work correctly, or it's vulnerable to security concerns. What this means, though, is that when someone does some research and they find that there's a zero day or another security vulnerability in a device, it takes a very long time, you know, upwards of years to maybe get these put in place and fixed. And that's not great. But that said, is it better to have a vulnerable pacemaker than a no pacemaker and be dead? That's down to you guys. Thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app. Tweet about it, post it somewhere. We would really appreciate it. To talk to us about any aspect of the show, suggest a future topic, or to ask a question about IoT security, please get in touch via email on helpme at yg.ht with at gotta underscore hack via Twitter or by searching you gotta hack that on LinkedIn.